All right, people, welcome to the first inaugural episode of the Golden Tech Podcast. Yes, I know my name is very original, but it's the only thing I could come up with. So there's been quite a lot of news in terms of technology in the past week, and the primary thing in technology has been Computex. And if you don't know about Computex, it's where all the PC manufacturers, semiconductor companies, etc., etc., they all come together in Taiwan and announce their latest products, especially Taiwanese companies. So AMD has probably been the biggest story at Computex. AMD is kind of, this is their, in terms of Ryzen at least, this is probably their their moment where they could potentially beat Intel. Now that hasn't happened since the Athlon days, I think, in the early 2000s. That's insane. This could potentially change the way we view CPUs, because previously we viewed CPUs as, you know, uh... Wintel, Windows Intel. So now AMD finally has competitive processors in the desktop space and in the desktop enthusiast space and in the data center. Now, the data center is probably the big one because Intel has kind of dominated, but AMD is slowly starting to rise up, you could say. You know, Ryzen, bad joke. AMD's finally, they finally have processors that could beat Intel Xeon, and it's starting to show. Google recently announced that they're going to use Epic. Microsoft announced it, and so on and so on. They've had an, a large amount of partnerships in the data space, uh, space. So, especially now in the future where we could potentially have cloud gaming in the next generation consoles, the Xbox two or PlayStation five and potentially the Google Stadia if that actually becomes a thing. You never know with Google. Google can just uh, kill something in like five days if they want to. They they don't really care about any of their products. So it's kind of insane to think about. And the the primary thing they announced was the new uh, seven nanometer Ryzen three thousand CPUs and Navi. Just a little bit of a teaser for Navi. There, that true release is going to be in at E3, uh, I believe, in two weeks. So look out for that if you want to learn more about Navi. And these, this cup, this month is going to be pretty insane for AMD, I think, just because this is the first time where AMD could potentially take the throne from Intel. They've gotten close. In terms of lower pricing, right? Generally speaking, when you talk about an AMD product, you're like, oh, I'm going to get this for $100 less and we're going to sacrifice something in terms of performance. And that's okay because most people don't necessarily need the most CPU power or the most GPU power even. Like, mo the average person just needs something that works, does 1080p60, maybe QuadHD60. Maybe some VR, like the average person does, but they're finally now able to take the performance crown from Intel, which is insane. Because it's, there's a thing called the halo effect. And the idea is that you have this insane product, like for example, NVIDIA has the GTX 2080 Ti. 
and it's it costs like a thousand bucks but a lot of people buy their like quite honestly their terrible mid-range products like the like GTX uh, 1050 and all that uh, like $200 ish products that AMD has far better solutions to in my opinion the 580 and the uh, 570 do have better performance than their competing Intel products Intel, the competing NVIDIA products, but because of the halo effect, people perceive that NVIDIA is better at the mid-range. Even though their performance isn't better, people think that, oh, I'm going to get a little bit of that RTX 2080 Ti goodness. If they make the best GPU in the world, then surely their mid-range processors must also be the best. And now we're finally going to see that on the AMD side, at least with CPUs. So they announced the Ryzen 9 3900X, they announced the Ryzen 7 3800X, 3700X, Ryzen 5, and 3600X and uh, 3600. So those core counts are 12, 8, 6, or yeah. So basically it's the same thing in terms of core count. We're not going to get a Ryzen 5 with 8 cores. People are rumoring that and... It's not going to happen for $249, let's be honest here. They'd, they'd have to probably have some sort of loss, and they don't need it. Six scores is good enough for Ryzen 5, it's good enough for most people. So the key thing here is the Ryzen 9 through 900, because they showed this insane Intel car that was like $1,200. It was insanely expensive for a CPU. And then they showed the Ryzen 9 matching it. Once they did that, they had me with the Ryzen 9. I think the Ryzen 9, even though it's $500, which is insane for a CPU, but for an enthusiast who, or a streamer, or someone who wants 1080p gaming, someone who wants the best in CPU performance, they're going to get that, I think, over a competing Intel product. And... They were even comparing the uh, 3700X, the Ryzen 7, to the i7-9700K, and it was actually getting around the same single-core, I think it was actually, no, it was beating the single-core and multi-thread, which actually doesn't happen, in, or hasn't happened, pretty much at all in terms of AMD. Like, this is the first time in many, many years where AMD is finally taking the performance crown from Intel, because Intel, for the past since 2015 actually has been basically using the same uh, you know the same arch architecture pretty much the same just kind of rebranded like they've just been using 14 nanometer for the past nearly four years and they haven't really changed too much and a lot of people are their partners at least are getting kind of irritated at them because one of the reasons why, I'm, I know I'm digressing, but one of the reasons why Apple's CPUs, like, people always, like, we talk about them overheating or etc. having issues in terms of that was because Apple actually designed the MacBooks, MacBook Pro, for Intel CPUs that just, that just don't exist. Like, Intel thought that from 2015, like, by now, or at least by the time the uh, MacBook Pros the uh, redesigned 2016, 2017, maybe, that they were going to get on to 10 nanometer and 7 nanometer, but it hasn't happened. And because of that, 
they haven't really had the efficiency that they need to make laptops that thin. Whereas AMD, by next year, because they operate on a cycle in which the APUs, or basically the CPUs with graphics in them, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be Navi graphics instead of Vega graphics this time because of their newly released GPU, but that is going to be powering the next generation consoles as well as the uh, laptops and all that. So if Intel can't get 10 nanometer, if they couldn't get 10 nanometer right, which they did, they they, they did actually release 10 nanometer 10 nanometer for uh, or laptops for low powered laptops. But if they didn't, if they couldn't get it out, then AMD might have actually surpassed them in laptops too. Intel is kind of running out of options here, because AMD has, so far, better desktop processors, potentially better laptop processors next year, better data center processors, and all for cheaper. And it's not like they have any other, any other profit, like, makers, aside from CPUs. They got rid of their, uh... I don't even know what you'd call it, LTE chipset. I'm blanking, but they got rid of that for iPhones, or in general, Intel uh, chipsets for broadband chipsets. I believe that's what it's called. They got rid of that because they were terrible. They were in the iPhones, the recent iPhones, and the 2019 iPhones, 2018-2019 models do have Intel chipsets. And they are definitely far, far worse than uh, the Qualcomm chipsets. As much as it pains me to say it, I, I would rather no one will have a single, a single space to monopolize, but Qualcomm, they right now have a monopoly. And I believe it was ruled by the EU that they have a monopoly. But anyways... So yeah, AMD, AMD's CPU releases were incredible at Computex, and if you have the time, go to Golden Tech Podcast, so just search it up on YouTube if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify, etc., and perhaps you'll see a YouTube video with all the links and sources that I used for this podcast. So moving right along, we have Navi. So by the way... Uh, AMD's, I believe the launch date for AMD's CPUs is 7-7-2019 uh, in honor of 7 nanometer. so look out for that in the future, and hopefully they do well. Hopefully Intel gets a little kick in the pants, and we'll actually see some real innovation in this industry, some real competition. So... They kind of mentioned Navi, and it actually, they kind of surprised everyone. At first with the name, a lot of people thought they were going to troll NVIDIA with the uh, 3080 name, because, you know, the, the RTX 2070, the RX 3080, it'd just be a little bit of a troll, but I believe NVIDIA patented it or something like that, so they couldn't use it. So, they're calling it the RX 5000 family, and the first thing they demoed was the RX 5700, uh, 
5700. So with the with this new Navi card, they're saying that they're actually using a different uh, a different architecture. So a lot of people have been kind of concerned about GCN and it's a little bit old, it's a little bit it's not that great anymore. There's some issues with it. So Navi is finally on a different architecture. It's not on GCN anymore. And let's see here. So the main stats they're putting out are uh, 1.25x performance per clock and 1.5 performance per watt. So it's going to be more efficient and more powerful. There isn't really too much here. Other oh yeah, it's also gonna have PCIe Express. So the main thing is that people were expecting a GCN based Navi, which would mean it wouldn't really be that different from Vega. Maybe some slight differences, but it is a completely new architecture in RDNA, and this will probably mean great things for the next generation consoles too, which are going to be probably teased at E3 in about two weeks, I believe. So yeah, look out for that. So, there's a little... I don't really know how exactly Navi is going to compete with NVIDIA, though, because, like I said before, the idea that there's a halo effect, the idea that, uh, if you have a processor that is far beyond the rest, the best of the best, then people will automatically assume that your lower tier processors will have that same magic. And NVIDIA for the past, since 2016, I believe, maybe even 2015 actually, I, I, don't, I don't even remember what the GPUs were like back then, but I believe they still had the performance crown. And a lot of people bought NVIDIA in the desktop side just because they had the best of the best so they assumed the mid-range processors would be just as good and unfortunately I don't think Navi will have that crown at least not this year so during on stage they demoed the uh, Navi 5700 compared to a 2070 now, that's roughly equivalent to a GTX 1080, which was the best card, uh, like what, five years ago or something? No, not five years ago, like 20, 2016? That's not exactly a good look. I'm gonna be real here, Radeon has never been the best part about AMD. Like, maybe in the HD7950 years, the HD7950 is a great card, I have it, it's great. It still runs pretty well, it still works, it's around uh, 1050 to 1050 Ti performance, so it, it's definitely outlasted a lot of the other cards of the era, but other than that, it, it's like, I, I think the major thing they need to do, unless if they're planning to pull a Ryzen with the Navi cards, because what actually happened at CES, a lot of people assumed that they were showing off their higher tier card when they're actually showing off their Ryzen 7, I think, compared to an Intel, and they're showing off how 
they were roughly the same and how the power efficiency was and all that. So I believe that was a Ryzen 7 at CES and maybe they're going to pull the same thing and introduce a Navi 5800 or a Navi 5900 or etc. Which could compete with the best of the best from NVIDIA. Now if they do that, perhaps they might have an advantage, but one thing that they did not mention is ray tracing, and ray tracing could potentially be huge in the next couple of years, as a lot of the console companies have, I think uh, both Microsoft and uh, like PlayStation have announced that they're going to have ray tracing in the next generation, next generation consoles or something of that sort. So we'll have to see as to what exactly happens with Navi. There isn't really too much information, but again, links will be in the description of a YouTube video. Just search Golden Tech Podcast on YouTube, and hopefully you'll find it. So moving right along. Let's see. So we have, moving away from Computex, <laughs> there's all this new stuff about Huawei. And yes, that is actually their pronunciation, Huawei, not Hawaii, Huawei. So, a, a big summary, if uh, you haven't really been paying attention to this situation. So, President Trump has had a trade war with a bunch of different, uh, with China mainly, and is involved, uh, previously ZT got involved in, uh, I think it was 2015, but now Huawei is in, is in the firefight between China and the U.S. And, well, they've kind of been getting screwed. So, not only can they not have... Into, they can't have any U.S. company working with them. Now, what that means is a lot of alliances, for example, are U.S.-based, like... Wi-Fi alliance, Bluetooth alliance, I believe there are other US-based or SD alliance, I, I forgot what it's called, SD association, they're all either US-based or allies to the US, like London or etc. So they basically, most likely will be pressured into saying, hey, you can't use SD cards. Now that's huge for Huawei, especially in uh, certain co countries in which you have to have SD cards in order to make good selling phones like a lot of like for India for example you can't not have SD cards nano SD cards or micro SD cards etc like maybe they could switch over to a different um, format for expandable storage but it is required in a lot of countries because you just need to have it, right? Say, for instance, a lot of people aren't going to buy a 32 gigabyte smartphone, and you, in order to reduce it to prices that would be competitive in India, you would most likely need to have a 32 gigabyte smartphone with micro SD card slot or maybe nano SD card slot, and that's just one small part. But the big thing is number one, Google. Google, there's been a 90 day, uh, like, they're, they're going to wait for 90 days to officially do this, but they're essentially stopping all communicate, all contact with uh, Huawei. And what this means is that if you 
if you currently have a Huawei device, you probably aren't going to be affected. But if you do buy a new Huawei device, chances are they'll probably block anything Google. So that means Google Search, Google Play Music, YouTube, Gmail, etc., etc., Google Drive. Everything's gone. You cannot use it. You won't get updates. And the main reason is they're on this entity list that don't, uh, that uh, uh, the U.S. has created. So any U.S. company basically can't have any trade with uh, Huawei. So what this means is that potentially Android is on the line. So Android as we know it, which is... Well, no one's really using uh, the open source version of Android, but Android as we would know it consists of YouTube and Gmail, etc. And essentially that Play Store, like that sort of Android will never be on another Huawei device again, which is huge. This effectively kills off Huawei in Europe. And Europe is actually one of the biggest markets for Huawei. It's just, there hasn't really been a sort of... Uh, this sort of thing on a scale since the 80s since the 80s and the whole Japanese electronic stuff and accusing Japan of dumping electronics into the US like television stuff like there was that whole thing and it's been nearly what 40 years since then like it, it's just insane to think about. We've effectively been communicating. We've, we've had, like, free trade, more or less. Now, it's not like this is unprecedented. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely not unprecedented. Like, if you have a Huawei device, you'll know that they look like a certain other company that starts with an A based off of fruit. Like, I love my Huawei MateBook. Don't get me wrong, but it's basically a MacBook. And that's why I bought it. I mean... All the Huawei, like Huawei has been accused time and time again of taking IP from other manufacturers from, and of course accused of spying. We don't really have, as for the spying allegation, we don't really have any confirmation that this, there's some sort of spying occurring in which Huawei devices are transferring stuff to China. There hasn't really been any evidence of that yet. But it is always a possibility with Chinese products. You never know. They could have something on the bootloader. They could have an app that they install. They could, on Android, like, because their bootloaders are now locked. So if you buy a Huawei device, you essentially cannot go from, say, uh, I believe, I don't know exactly what the Huawei OS is called, but... There's a specific Huawei OS that they have, like skin, it's a skin on Android, and you can't not use that OS now, you have to use that OS. There isn't a stock version with everything deleted, so maybe you might find a deep version, but if you care that much about uh, security at to the point where you'd want to flash another ROM onto your device, then there's probably no point in buying a Huawei device. And obviously I wouldn't recommend it now, unless you want to live the de googleified life. Even then, <laughs> it's, it's funny because they were actually almost about to get to number one without selling anything in the U.S. Now that's insane if you think about it. 
for years, the United States has been the number one consumer paradise in the world. Like, everyone buys it. In order to, you know, the, the idea is, like, in order to have something in the top, you need to sell in the U.S. It is a requirement to sell in the U.S. But Huawei has managed to do that, managed to get to number two of the smartphone business, an incredibly competitive business, without ever selling in the U.S. They tried it once, it didn't work. Maybe 1% of all Huawei like devices are sold in the U.S., maybe even less. That That's insane to think about. Think about the kind of message that that sends to other companies, to other competitors in the technology space. Why do I need to sell in the United States? Why do I need to take the trouble? Because it is a lot of trouble to sell here. We use different plugs. We use different uh, LTE signals. We use... We have a different model than everyone else. We don't... The carriers have complete control over any phone you buy. So a majority of sales are from carriers. And the warranty support is from carriers too. No company... No country really has that sort of... These sort of issues. For example, I do know in... I believe the bands are very similar in Europe and in China, so you could just buy a Chinese phone. You don't need to worry about bands. So, essentially, there's no point for a lot of these companies if they see Huawei doing it. You know, why do I need to sell in the U.S.? Now, that could be huge. And I think Trump knows this. I, I think the United States government knows this. Like, this isn't really... Like, you'd think it's just a small thing, but... It could bring a huge impact to the United States, especially with Chinese companies. Chinese companies could potentially become big in the future. Big as in bigger than leaders of the industry. They're, they're almost there. Like I said, Huawei's number two. In terms of networking, Huawei's number two. In terms of cell phones, number two. You know, Chinese uh, Vizio and all those TV manufacturers are going up. And if they just decide to say, screw this, we're not going to sell in the U.S., there's too many laws, too many regulations, we're just going to sell to Europe, we're just going to sell to China, Samsung, you can have the United States television market, imagine what happens then. We just lose competitors, we lose precious innovation of the future, which could be huge, like, it, this isn't just about Huawei, I don't think, I think it's transcended Huawei. I think this is about like the potential future of consumer goods in the United States and the trade. Because for many, many years, right, United States has effectively let China do its own thing. Like we've known for years that Chinese like companies just rip off Apple products. Like it's been a meme. Like if you just look at the like even like Samsung, like Samsung's first Galaxy device, the Galaxy S one was essentially an iPhone copy. Like Huawei's first device, iPhone copies. Like they were all iPhone copies. But the Chinese they just they just didn't know when to stop. Their their entire like product lines of just iPhone copies. And these from these aren't like uh, two bit shops. Like these are mainstream manufacturers. Only recently have they discovered their own identity, but that doesn't excuse them from IP theft of the past twenty years. 
So it's good that they're having some sort of retribution for this. So that in the future, when, you know, China's eventually going to be replaced, they can't, they can't keep their uh, yuan this low for so long. You never know, right? All it takes is one, one individual to say, hey, we've had enough of our currency being devalued so that you you can sell these shitty phones to the United States and all that. We're not even to the United States, to, to Europe. We're going to fight back. Like, all it takes is one person, and that that's it. And that's why they've been uh, currying favor with Africa and these other smaller, lesser, lesser countries with a lot of workforce who will also be willing to work for less pay. And that's going to be another thing we're probably going to see in the next couple, 10 years, 20 years, maybe. So yeah, that was a very long tangent, and I'm sure the if I continue this, the more you listen on, the more tangents there are going to be. So moving right along, what do we did Huawei? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I didn't mention. There'll be links to all of this in the description below if you're watching YouTube video. If you're listening to podcasts, go find the YouTube video at Golden Tech Podcast. Hopefully it'll be there. If not, I blame Google because you Google can't code anything for shit. Like their their products are pretty terrible in terms of that. And YouTube is no exception. Alright, so we talked about Huawei, let's talk about Intel. Now I probably Foresight is 2020, right? I probably should have talked about this after AMD. So Intel also announced stuff at Computex, and they've actually finally gotten their 10th generation 10 nanometer processor uh, CPUs out with GPUs, and they're actually running Iris Plus graphics cards which are about equal to the uh, 3700U, the second generation, not second generation, the Zen Plus uh, APUs that AMD launched in January at CES. Now, the issue with this is that uh, they're definitely going to be surpassed in about a year in terms of graphics performance and in terms of CPU performance, most likely, but Intel probably still has the idle performance lead in terms of x86 processors but Qualcomm has actually made the uh, uh, new processor I believe they announced it at Computex or it was pretty close to that which had a uh, like I believe a significant advantage in terms of the uh, the demo they just posted that will be available I can't really talk about that too much because there isn't really too much information but it's like an 85CX or something like that but yeah, that, that could potentially be big because of the idle times and, you know, people generally speaking, most people don't really care about, they only compare about compatibility, they don't compare about, uh, care about performance to an extent, and they care about battery life. So uh, using an ARM processor from Qualcomm over x86 Intel processor for laptops, that could be the next big thing in terms of laptops. But anyway, 10, 10 nanometer... Uh, it's basically going up to uh, 4.1 gigahertz instead of, it's actually a downgrade in terms of clock speed. It's like, I believe last generation is 4.6 gigahertz according to this article. Yep. So 
it's slightly higher IPC, it's slightly better, and the graphics card is significantly better. So if you're looking out for a new laptop, definitely go check these out. I would recommend waiting for Zen 2 though, Zen 2 laptops, because AMD could potentially have an insane um, laptop performance uh, APUs within the coming year. So I, I personally think that they're, go they're going to be Intel by far, because if they have 7 nanometer in laptops and they use a chiplet ar architecture, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to have better overall power, like it's going to have better power consumption, but it's probably, they're probably not going to figure out a way to beat them in terms of idle performance, which is what a lot of people have issues with in current AMD laptops. Alright, so this is about, been about 32 minutes of, uh, CPU talk. So if you don't like CPUs, I'm sorry. It's it's just for today, just for this first po first podcast. So more CPU news. Uh, not really CPU news, but let's talk about Apple. So Apple recently announced their uh, new uh, eight-core MacBook Pro 2019 Vega 20 graphics card not Navi, and honestly, I don't see the need. See, I already talked about before how Intel and they just kind of failed Apple in that sense, and I they already had thermal throttling performance issues, they already had issues with cooling, and I, I don't see the need. And also, I would not recommend anyone get a MacBook. If you don't know, there's been a lot of issues with MacBooks in terms of the keyboard. Keyboards have been failing so much so that the recently announced laptops have their own warranty replacement program. <laughs> like, that's insane. I, I don't think I've ever seen a company immediately announce that their products are going to be defective on day one. But... I, I'm going to be real here, like what company, like imagine if Dell announced their latest laptop and they said, oh well, the, uh, the CPU at some point within the four years is going to overheat and you could potentially lose data and you could potentially, you know, you could lose this and that and they're going to announce a laptop with the OLED screen that, you know, could have burn-in because it's a crappy LG panel. If if Dell did that, no one would buy them. If they said, oh, you know, it's okay, we're going to have a warranty, you can, day one, even if your laptop breaks, we'll have a replacement program. If you buy our premium service protection, you'll have day one lines, you don't have to pay for shipping, like, why... This is a company that's worth nearly a trillion dollars that just does not care. It's pretty clear that Apple does not care about laptops. Now, we'll have to see, maybe at WWDC, they'll announce, oh, we fixed the keyboard problems through software. They could. What mainly happens with these keyboards is that through time, there's issues with dust, there's issues with the, the mesh or whatever, the... Uh, filament that they put on the keyboard in the uh, 2018 generation 
that just kind of heated up and just it just fell apart. So no matter what, they've just been having issues with double strokes. You just press one time, it does twice or thrice, or it just doesn't register, so on. So this is a $1 trillion company that has released products that just suck. They're on day one. They have a warranty service saying, hey, your keyboards, essentially saying that, hey, your keyboards are on this $4,000 laptop are going to probably fail. I, I don't think I've ever seen a company do this before. And this isn't big news. This is just accepted. Why are we accepting that a $4,000 computer can have keyboards that fail on day one that require a warranty program? That's insane. And they've had f nearly four years. This is the fourth generation product of this keyboard. It released in 2015 with the uh, the 12-inch uh, MacBook that no one bought. And no, uh, The crappy one with the uh, Core M, uh, the original Core M, that was just really slow and overheated a lot, Intel, and... The keyboard just kind of sucked, and they continue to suck. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a company act this brazenly, and people are still buying MacBooks. People are going out, day one, pre-ordering their $4,000 MacBook, knowing that at some point within four years, their keyboard will break, and sure, there's a replacement program for four years. Sure, you can get a new keyboard, and you can buy it, and you can go up to the Apple Store and be happy and replace, take all that hassle to replace the keyboard on your $4,000 computer. But, there comes a point in which that keyboard is going to die after four years. And, if you're paying that much money for a computer... Why would you want to only use it for four years? Like, these processors, unless if there's some sort of insane, you know, Ryzen prompts Intel to go nuclear and just go all out to save their desperate, dying company, it's it's just going to be the same. The, there's not really been too much increase in CPU power from Intel, and... and Apple will probably not switch to Intel. If anything, they'll switch to their own processors, which have been shown being on par or even beating Intel, and most likely will be Intel in the future. Like, they, they, the, the MacBook line is just a mess. And that's all I have to say about that. But speaking of not messes, something that a lot of people expected and didn't really come true is... The iPod Touch at, uh, I believe is the, uh, August event or something like that, or not August event, like, the May event. May event? Yeah, there was an Apple event sometime. There's a lot of them. There's another one coming up in two years, two weeks, WWDC. So, they actually refreshed the iPod Touch. After four years, there, there's a finally an iPod Touch refresh for all the iPod Touch users. People that still use, for some reason, <laughs> the iPod Touch. Now look, if you have an old iPod Touch and you're using it just for the gym, it's lightweight, cheap, if it breaks you won't complain, like that's fine, but I don't think of anyone specifically desiring to get an iPod Touch. But it's $199, same price as before, 
No prices increases there, and it has an A10 processor, and it even goes up to 256 gigabytes for $399. Why? Who in the right mind would buy an iPod Touch for $399? How much music do you store? Like, this isn't a device that can play FLAC files. You're going to store, like... Eight, like Apple, I don't even know what it's called, like ALAC? Like lossless files on a like shitty, like iPod touches aren't known for their audio uh, input or output. They aren't known for having the great, you know, 3.5 millimeter headphone jacks that say a, a traditional like DAC, a, a DAP or, a, you know, LG phone, etc. would have. So maybe you're looking for gaming performance on a 4-inch device using the A10 processor that's like been outdated in terms of Apple for well forever. I mean, it's it's still it's still supported, like it's still good, but it's definitely not great. It's definitely not like A A12 level. A12 just destroys it in terms of performance and for 399 just get an iPad mini. Or for two forty nine, just get an iPad. Even if you want the small stuff, an iPad Mini is still going to fit in your pocket. Like it's still going to be good enough. It's going to be better performance. So what? You don't get the storage. You're never going to use two hundred fifty six gigabytes of storage. The amount of games that you'd have to download or to use it. Like, are you really going to download like the Apple quote unquote Apple Arcade, which is essentially going to be like nine ninety nine a month or whatever for shitty mobile games that barely work or gotcha games that try to desperately try to make money and somehow are paid in the process like mobile gaming is just not worth spending your money on not seriously just buy a switch don't buy an ipod touch all right moving along let's see so speaking more apple news ios 13 just leaked and it's going to have dark mode, which is good. WWDC is going to showcase, hopefully, dark mood. And more iPad stuff, more changes to a reminder app. Small stuff. It's not going to be too big. But, yeah, that's that's. I think that's it for Apple News. Oh yeah, one more thing. So for those of you who are hardcore users of 3D Touch, 3D Touch is probably going to be no longer. iOS 13 is still going to have it, but 2019 devices are most likely not going to have 3D Touch, and that's primarily just because of bezel. Like, Apple's bezel is just... For the $1,000 price point... Apple's bezels are just comically huge compared to, say, Samsung. Like, they're still small, but the notch is insanely huge. And, like, the OnePlus uh, 7, OnePlus 7 Pro, has far, far, far smaller bezels. It's only it's $400 less. There's companies with far, far, far smaller bezels in terms of that, and it's kind of... I think it was kind of a given. If they're going to get rid of something, they'd probably get rid of 3D Touch for bezel-less design. 
just because it's something new, something exciting, something that people will say, hey, I'm going to upgrade my phone. It's not going to be for 2019, it's probably going to be for 2020, when they're going to officially uh, reduce the bezels, because they've been operating on a three-year tick, 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 and then talk, and then tick, tick, tick again, cycle, if that's what you call it. So yeah, that's pretty much it for Apple News. Let's see, what else do we have here? And I think that's that's pretty much it for uh, this episode. Oh yeah, one last thing. We have one last topic from our favorite company, Google. Now, it's been a very long time since Microsoft has been a dick. And for those of you who don't know or don't remember, Bill Gates was once the hated man. Like, the most hated man on the earth. One of the, like, like the, like, Rockefeller of our time. I mean, he still is. He's, he donates a lot. He's trying to get people to forget the 90s, but Wikipedia exists for a reason. And that's a slander. Well, not slander, but showcase Bill Gates for the business tycoon he really was. So, there was a ton of anti-trust lawsuits against Microsoft. They were just, there was a lot of iffy business tactics. But eventually, you know, Microsoft cooled down. They they said, oh, we're going to embrace Linux, we're going to embrace open source, we're going to provide all these unique benefits. But of course, it's at a cost. The idea is that, you know, once you go onto their platform and all that, say for example Linux, right? Linux has been a huge competitor in Microsoft, especially in terms of servers and all that. So. The idea is that they'll embrace it. They'll embrace Linux, have Windows uh, subsystem for Linux. They'll have all this stuff, and then they'll finally they'll they'll implement it in their um, system in Windows, and then they'll extinguish it for good. They'll basically, you know, will not really prevent you from using it, but essentially provide a better alternative so that you'll have no point in using. Like, say, for instance, you're a Linux developer. Instead of installing Linux, you just use Windows subsystem for Linux. Now, these aren't really dirty tactics, but that's what, that's what they use now. Like, It's just fact. It's not really super dirty, but Google, on the other hand, this latest thing that they've done is it's just kind of insane. They, Google has, I think, basically a monopoly at this point. It has basically a monopoly on search, mobile, monopoly on advertising. AdWords is insane, insanely huge. YouTube, monopoly. They can afford to lose a ton of money on YouTube because they have all these other services, all these other products that all make a profit. So, no other company can do that. So... What they're doing, their most recent decision, that it, essentially Microsoft in the early years of the internet had all these different like uh, requirements for internet stuff and it basically made the web kind of fragmented and there was all this IE6 stuff. Like, I, won't go, I won't get into it, but all you have to know is 
Microsoft basically prevented a lot of these third-party browsers from, you know, having the, the right web. Like, the web wasn't designed for everyone, for everything. And now that's kind of changed. You know, now all the browsers can access the web. All the browsers are optimized, more or less. And they all provide good, adequate, and then some provide amazing performance. But now... Yeah, I know my voice is... My voice is slowly dying from doing this. Last topic. But now, what Microsoft, what Google has done to Microsoft is they're trying to kill their Edge platform from ever taking off. Now, if you don't know about Edge, Edge is, for most people, the good, slightly good, yet pretty shitty, let's be real here, uh, browser that comes on, like, installed with Windows. Now, previously, Edge has kind of used their own thing, but now they're actually going on Chromium, and now Chromium is an open-source product, and obviously, Chromium sounds like Chrome, that's because it is. Chromium is just Chrome, but de like, it's the open-source version, but, so Microsoft was like, hey, there's a lot of other uh, browser projects using Chromium, so we're just going to use Chromium too. So for the latest Microsoft Edge, it uses Chromium. It's essentially the same as Chrome. Relatively same performance, it's just no Google. And this scares the crap out of Google. Because now, there could potentially be a new browser, like, for the idiots, right? Because there's a lot of people who just use Edge. There's grandmas and all that. And Microsoft is probably going to announce some sort of ad-blocking capability, privacy tracking, all of this stuff. And... That's a huge market that Google might potentially lose in terms of desktop. And they're announcing Edge for Mac and Edge for Android. This could be huge in terms of ad blocking, at least in the desktop space, if Microsoft goes that way. And I think that at the very least, Edge will probably be more optimized for uh, touch and all that. And what Google has essentially done in order to kind of destroy Edge, destroy the Chromium-based Edge, is they've made it so that YouTube cannot work in Chromium Edge. That is insane. No, like, if Microsoft did this 20 years ago, they would have been hit by an antitrust lawsuit. Like, you can't just destroy a company like that if you have a, a monopoly. I know this isn't big, but it could be big. Like, imagine if Google was just like, hey, we don't like Vivaldi, we don't like Safari. So, you, if you want to use Google services, you had better use Chrome. Maybe this is them testing the waters to see if that's possible, to see if they can skirt the law antitrust laws are that far. They've already been pretty brazen about what they can do, and this is certainly no exception. So, obviously, Edge is, like, the Chromium-based version is developing right now. It's not released yet. It's not ready for public. You can download it. You can try it out, but Google apps potentially might not work. So, even Google Docs, from what I remember, like, I, I haven't really tried out all the Google applications on Edge, 
but they generally don't perform as well on Edge that they do on Chromium. And it's not like Edge, the Edge on Windows currently is a bad browser. It's not bad by any means. It's just that Google is intentionally trying to destroy it by using, uh, you know, manipulative tactics. And now that Microsoft has finally, you know, acquiesced and said, hey, we're just going to use Chromium. Chromium is essentially Chrome. It's going to be all good. Google is deciding no. And this is not the first time that they've tried to destroy a, like something Microsoft related using their own services. They did this with Windows Mobile. And <laughs> for those of you who don't know, essentially what happened is on Windows Mobile, you couldn't download any Google applications whatsoever. They were just like, nope. You, you couldn't download uh, YouTube. You couldn't download... Uh, Gmail, like, there was just so many issues with Google applications is one of the reasons why Windows Mobile failed. And the, this is a company that's using its monopolistic, like, essentially a monopoly, right? Like, let's be real here. Like, YouTube is probably, like, number two in terms of web traffic. Google's probably, like, number one. And if both those things don't work on the browser, no one's going to use it. So we've essentially allowed Google in this like position of insane like authority like they can just do whatever they want and no one is going to stop them. Now, I think that's the note that I want to end off on this podcast. I know it's been a little bit rough. The microphone quality is probably terrible and my voice isn't exactly the greatest right now, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I'll probably do more if there's more stuff to talk about. Maybe, who knows, maybe this will be a gaming podcast or a, uh, I don't even know what else podcast. But, I don't really know how to end this, but uh, thanks for tuning in, listening, or watching on YouTube. Links in the description, and uh, hopefully you can come back next week at Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or whatever else I decide to record this.